we are continuing our series called Extreme Influence. And this is actually week five of, of six. This is last week. We're going to add more to it, like what are the recipes. And next week we're going to talk about what's at stake with this. Because for those of us who follow Jesus, there's a, a lot at stake. Now, here's the mistake I think that I might have been making. I've made this sound like a one-man operation. Like, if you want to have influence, here's the things you need to do. And we're going to continue with that. You're going to feel that because all of us want to leave lives of influence. But sometimes it's a team project. And, and in fact, I would say most of the time, if not all the time, it's actually a team project. You don't know all the people who are having influence with you, with, with someone, how God is using different people in someone's life. But you get to be a part of what God is is doing. And the place that really pops out, though, is when, is when it's obviously a team. So we've been going down to Belize now for, I think it's like four years, and an ongoing relationship. And one of the people that we've seen change in, that we believe has been influenced by, by our team and also by the, the team of Belizeans who work with this person down there, is a guy named Fred. And we want you to hear a little bit more of his story today or remind you maybe for some of you about Fred's story. So watch this. Every year I check on my old friend Fred, who I met four years ago while building a chicken coop for his wife. Fred was not attending the church, and he seemed uninterested and untrusting of our participation. But in the years since, he has warmed up to us, and the following year we helped him start a small garden by providing seeds and tools and breaking ground on three four-by-four-foot patches of garden. Here is Fred's garden today. And what does a good gardener do when birds start eating away at his hard work? The here is to protect my garden. What happened to birds? When I plant it and the seeds coming up, they dig them. So what happened? I am not there all the time. So what happened? I made this little thing to give it up. And the birds, they go away. But where do you pull it from? From my kitchen. Let's go find that Wh kitchen. While I'm drinking tea. <laughs> while he's drinking tea. Here's the wire. Goes back here. Back to the garden. See if you can follow this little wire. This is remote control. Goes all the way over to his house where he can scare away the birds while he's drinking tea in his kitchen. Fred has become our empowerment poster boy. But he's grown into more than that. He's become a leader within the church community. Here Fred is giving a pep talk to folks in the community interested in raising chickens and growing a garden. He's offering to give one of his chickens to anyone who wants to begin a chicken coop. That is the spirit of these wonderful children of God whom we've come to love. So that's... Um that's Fred, and I, and I love the fact that when they first went down there, Fred is keeping them at a distance. He's not going to church. His, his wife is sort of checking out the church, and she gets involved a little bit, but you can feel the tension. And, and now he's, he's giving lectures about chickens, and he's giving away his chickens that he raised when he didn't used to have any to, to other people in need. So it's just a really cool story. It's an influence story, and it's not a finished story. More is going on all the time. So let's take a moment to pray, and we'll talk more about, about this influence idea that we're engaged in. God, um, first of all, I thank you for Fred and the, 
Lord's Lee's mission trip. And then I think about this Mexico mission trip, and I got to pray for them um, because they're going to be down there serving and caring and loving and building homes for people who don't have them. And the reason is, is influence, to share, to sh- not just meet a need, but to share love. And so, God, I pray that, um, I pray for all the selfless things. This is a great weekend for, the, for that group, that they grow in their, their faith and their trust in you. They have a wonderful time. And I also pray for, for the Mexicans they're going to touch, that if something would be exchanged that's more permanent than even the homes they're going to build, their hearts would be touched and their lives would be changed. That they would seek you and know you and find you. To live without you is the greatest tragedy. So God, I pray for great influence on that trip. And then open our ears tonight, our hearts to hear from you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we've said from the beginning, I'm going to give a quick, quick, quick review because it all builds on each other, right? We've said from the beginning this idea of influence that it's human nature. Everybody Really, all, everybody want, has a desire to make a difference. Everybody has a desire to make an impact. You don't need Jesus to have that desire. But if you do have Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, well, then even more is at stake because one of the things God invites us to is to be a part of what he's doing, how he's changing, how he's influencing the world. And he wants to leverage our lives. He wants us to be aware of how we're, how we're living so that we're intentional about, about being involved in that make a difference, what God wants to do in this world. We said the starting place influence is is love that if you want to influence anyone you have to start by, by actually loving them and that they'll accept and reject you at an emotional level they'll figure it out they may not say it out loud but they can tell people know or they'll know eventually whether you actually care and love them or whether you're just you know running a program right so starting place is love love is indispensable but love is not enough the Beatles were wrong right all you need is love is not true. You need love, but you've got to add to it. So week two and three, we said, hey, there's some other requirements. One is integrity. And if you want to make a difference, you have to love people, but you also have to be a person of integrity who has character because when they find out you're a fake and a fraud, when, when, when you start doing things that are wrong and contrary, they'll lose their trust. If you don't have trust, they're not going to open their hearts and their lives to you. What you say will bounce off of them so fast because they'll say words like hypocrite and fake, and you're such a liar, right? So you have to have integrity. You have to have character. We have to be the same person no matter what stage we're on. Then we said the other price tag is inconvenience, that you will be inconvenienced if you want to influence people because you have to go out of your way for them. You have to give them, give them time. And then we're talking about a couple of other things. Um, so last week, Doug taught, Doug Weintraub taught, and he said the fourth requirement is you've got to say something. And that's a really tricky one because you don't want to, you know, if you only say something or if you say something without love, or if you say something and you don't have integrity, remember, all those things come first. But eventually, we have to kind of articulate, most of us, most of the time, what, what influence we're trying to have. Otherwise, people are, are guessing. Sometimes I'll hear people say, you know, I don't ever talk about Jesus. I just let people see Jesus by the way I live. And I'm going, well, that's, that's awesome, but it's not scriptural. It also doesn't work. Because all people will think is that you're a really nice, moral person who loves them. Right? And they won't be able to give credit to the right to the right source. This is why Paul wrote in chapter 10 of Romans, verse 14, he said, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Unless someone says something. 
Now, I'm not saying you beat people up with the gospel or beat people up with Jesus. But I'm also saying we don't keep Jesus hidden in our back pocket. That there's a time and place to say, hey, do you want to know what makes me tick? Do you want to know where I find my fulfillment? Do you want to know? I'm telling you, the answer for me, for me, is God. It's Jesus. It's his leadership in my life. So there's a time and place to say something. Now, think about this question. We've asked it every single week. Who's had a great influence on your life? Who's had a really positive, good influence? Maybe they were followers of Jesus. Maybe they weren't. Right? I bet you they spoke into your life. One way or another, I bet they said something. At some point in your life, they said something. So today we're going to talk about a fifth requirement, and it is, it's related to these other ones. It's serve somebody. Right? So if I was to explain what we just went through in a different way, I would say, hey, here's the three foundations. Love is the first foundation. Integrity is the second. You don't have love. You don't have integrity. You won't influence anybody in a positive way. It just won't happen. The third one is inconvenience, right? But, but under inconvenience, uh, it gets lived out in trans- basically three different ways. The first is you're going to have to give up your time. If you don't spend time with people, they won't know you, won't, you won't be an influence. Time is incredibly important. I call it exposure. You need lots of exposure. This is why, by the way, that parents have such tremendous influence on their kids. Because even if they have low character and low love, they have so much time. And so the exposure is so, so high. Secondly, you're going to have to talk. You're going to have to say something. This is what Doug talked about last week. So if you missed that message, uh, go back. It's online. You, you, can, you can listen to it. And today we're saying, hey, there's a third inconvenience, and it's serving somebody. And it's, I'm not saying you have to do this for every single person, all three, but, but likely, likely there will be some, a, a need to spend time with the person, there will be a need to say something, and there will be an opportunities to serve as you go through it. This is, I think those are the swimming strokes in the sea of inconvenience, right? When you, we move from my comfort zone and we move to people that we don't know or, or don't care for so much right now or don't even like um, other people in our family, the, the, the stroke is inconvenience. That's how we navigate and how we get to those, those other pools. So today's message, I'm going to tell you exactly what we're going to do. We're going to tell you two Bible stories. I'm going to show you one video clip. And I'm going to say, what's your application? And I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go eat. That's the plan. I'm sticking to it, all right? So Bible story number one comes from the Old Testament. And I'll give you this. I'm showing you this Old Testament story because it's going to change how you hear, I think, the New Testament story we're going to look at. The New Testament one, I'll tell you right now, you're familiar with. But I bet you're not familiar with this, fir- this, this first story from the Old Testament. So this is from Second Chronicles 28. Chronicles kind of goes through the history of the leadership of Israel. And it makes big statements. So this particular chapter is about a king named Ahaz, who's the king of Judah. Quick history lesson, because I always mess it up and forget how things work. Um, Ju- at, at this time, the nation of Israel is divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom is Israel. It's like ten tribes. The southern kingdom, kind of in the gold there, is Judah, which holds two tribes, maybe, maybe three. It depends who you read and what they say exactly. So those are the two tribes. And now they're like two different countries. They're not even... They're not even friends. They don't even like each other very much, right? So they're almost like drifting in terms of culture. They're forgetting their origin. They used to be the 12 tribes of Israel who divided the land of Canaan. And now they're two kingdoms. Because after after Solomon was king, the nation divided into into the northern and the southern. Right? So here's what the passage says about Ahaz. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. 
and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. He did not do what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord, as his ancestor David had done. By the way, this is kind of the formula for every time they introduce a new king in his reign, they sort of make this statement about whether they follow God or didn't follow God, you know, or, or passionate about God or not passionate about God. So here it says, he did not do what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Instead of doing what was pleasing, he followed the example of the kings of Israel, all right, so the northern kingdom. He's in the southern kingdom, Judah. He's following the example of the other kings. It's kind of a slam on Israel here. He cast metal images for the worship of Baal. So he's worshiping through idolatry false gods. This, by the way, if you don't know this, that's like, no! If, it, if, I, if you read this to a Jewish audience, they'd be going, oh! No, 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 you don't do that. And he goes on, he, he offered sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, even sacrificing his own sons in the fire. This is not a Jewish thing. This isn't, this isn't something anybody's, this is barbaric. They're offering their, God, their, their children to false gods in, in, in the flames, right, in this, in this valley of Ben-Hanam. Now, the valley of Ben-Hanam is also known as the valley of Gehenna. And if that rings a bell for you, that's, that's the valley outside of Jerusalem where the, the city of Jerusalem during Jesus' days would take their garbage out and they'd burn it in a fire out in Gehenna. And, and Jesus would point to it and he goes, that's like hell. The fire never goes out. More is being consumed all the time. The city is always cleansing itself, and, and the fire never ends. And he's saying, you don't want to be there. That's the place of regret. Right? So that's where it kind of all clicks in together. That's, wh that's why that was a cursed valley. Right? So in this way, Ahaz followed the detestable practices of the pagan nations the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. Remember when the, they escaped Egypt? They finally got to the promised land. And, and the Lord helped win the battles against the Canaanites, right? And they took the land. The reason, kind of a clue here, the reason that happened was because those people were so far from God, so detestable, such barbaric practices, that God was trying to, by bringing in the Israelites, he was also punishing the nations for how far they drifted away from truth, right? And that, at least that's what, what Scripture shows us. So he, he, now they're in there, and they're doing the exact same things the people who left there were doing. So he offered sacrifices and burned incense at the pagan shrines and on the hills and under every green tree. He sort of like worshipped all the different kinds of fake gods in all the different places. And he just worshipped, you know, any religion would be good for him. And he got, so this is, so the point that he's trying to make is just this. Ahaz was an evil king. If you're pregnant, don't name your son Ahaz. Right? This is a, it's why no one does. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a name associated with far from God, living detestable ways, worshiping things that aren't even real, instead of and missing out on a relationship with God. Because of all of this, the Lord his God allowed the king of Aram to defeat Ahaz and to exile large numbers of his people to Damascus. So I didn't show it to you, but the, the northern kingdom next to it is Damascus and Aram. The, and it's one nation. And Aram, the king of Aram, <laughs> got in a big fight with Judah, and God's upset with Judah because of, because of Ahaz's behavior, because the whole nation is following his lead. So he comes out, and, and it says they got beat up. They were getting just destroyed in, in, in large numbers of people. They carted them off, right? And this is supposed to make the king go, what's going on? And it, when you lose battles, well, God's not with you, and it's time to repent. So then it also says, the armies of the king of Israel, the northern kingdom, also defeated Ahaz. So, so 
for the northern kingdom, those ten tribes are attacking the two tribes. Right? So they go down and inflicted many casualties on his army. Right? So, so Israel, it sounds like they're in, in you know, and, and Aram are attacking Judah. And the fact is that they, they were upset with Judah because they wouldn't join with them in an alliance. Okay, that's more detail I want to get into, but they wouldn't join. So they so Israel goes down and starts beating up, inflicting many casualties. Now listen to this. This is a single day. In a single day, Pekah, son of Manaliah, Israel's king, killed 120,000 of Judah's troops. All of them experienced warriors. So in other words, they were trained warriors. And it's apparently, from this guy's perspective, the author's perspective, is like, that shouldn't have happened. Israel just 120,000 in a day. Right? Why? Because they had abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors. They walked away from God. They lost his protection. Then, Zikri, a warrior from Ephraim. Ephraim is part of the ten tribes. That's one of the tribes of the ten, the northern kingdom. Killed Messiah. I'm just making up how to say these names, by the way. The king, king's son, Azakam. And the, so listen to this now. The king who is Ahaz, his son, Azakam, and the king's palace commander, and Elkanah, the king's second in command. You know what the author's trying to tell you? He's trying to say, this guy wiped out his home. Three people in his home. This was right close to him. Ahaz is fighting these battles, and he's sending people to war, and, it, and three guys he's counting on in his palace are dead. So it's, it's, it's getting very personal. The armies of Israel captured 200,000 women. The northern kingdom goes down. They kill all those guys. They capture 200,000 200, women and children from Judah, the southern kingdom, and seize tremendous amounts of plunder. You know, they're stuffing their pockets and their backpacks and everything they can, and they, they're going to take it all home. Tremendous amounts of, of plunder, which they took back to Samaria, which means they were headed north with it. So they have to go through Samaria. But a prophet of the Lord named Oded was there in Samaria when the army of Israel returned home. So they're returning home, 200,000 women and children, after just killing as many as they could. He went out to meet them, on the, uh, went out to meet them and said, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, was angry with Judah and let you defeat him. Right? This isn't your doing. This is God let you do this. But you have gone too far. You started to enjoy yourself. You, you, you killed people and there was no need to kill them. You took all these people with you. What are you, he, he kind of goes, what are you doing? Why did you go this far? This is, you're supposed to be on a godly mission. This is not God's mission. You were killing them without mercy. And now all of heaven is disturbed. Code, God's ticked. God's upset. This is, this is so, how could you do this? And now, you are planning to make slaves of these people. We came out of slavery. These people came out with us. Yeah, we, they're, they're south and we're north, but look what you've done. Right? These people are from Judah and, and Jerusalem. What about your own sins against the Lord your God? Look what you just did. Don't you think this was sinful? Listen to me. He's the prophet. And return these prisoners you have taken, for they are your own relatives. Don't you remember who they are and who you are? That you're one under God, we're his chosen people. 
And he says, watch out, because now the Lord's fierce anger has been turned against you. So here's what happened. It says, then some of the leaders of Israel, and then in the text it has four obscure, difficult-to-pronounce names, which you may go look up for yourself and butcher yourself, right? So these four men agreed with this. They listened to the prophet, and they confronted the men returning from battle. So they were first, they were kind of the leaders, to get back. They heard the prophet, and now they're going to confront everybody else coming up with all, all the people. They said, you must not bring prisoners here, they declared. We cannot afford to add to our sins and guilt. In other words, the prophet's right. We, we went too far. We killed without mercy. And we know that God doesn't approve of that. He's a loving father. It's not, this is not the right. Our guilt is already great, and the Lord's fierce anger is already turned against Israel. And by the way, later on, they get totally defeated. They, they, they're the missing tribe. We don't even know what happened to them. So the warriors released the prisoners and handed over plunder in the sight of the leaders and all the people. So they're releasing everybody, and they give them back all this stuff. No, don't take that. You give it back. It's not ours. It's theirs. We don't want to add to our guilt. And then the four men just mentioned by the name. See, the, the guy doesn't even want to say their names. The four men just mentioned by, the name, by name came forward and distributed clothes from the plunder to the prisoners who were naked. And then the first thing I thought was, they were naked? They're, they're going from point A to point. This, they're taking that huge walk in that desolate land. Naked, you guys? That's unbelievable. I mean, trail of tears mean anything to you? They're naked, walking. But it's supposed to be a positive thing because they're giving back the... They're giving some clothing, distributing clothes to them. They provide enough clothing and sandals. They were barefoot too. Can you imagine walking through that land barefoot? And they gave them food and drink. And they dressed their wounds with olive oil. So just, they gave them clothing. They dressed their wounds. They took care of them. They put those who were weak on donkeys. And took all the prisoners back to their own people in Jericho, the city of Palm. And you'll hear more about Jericho in a minute. And then they returned to Samaria, back in the northern kingdom. That's the first story. What's the point? We'll get to it. Because I actually think Jesus made the point. In a totally different story that we've nev I've never before this weekend connected to this passage. So let's talk about that passage. This is Bible story number two. Luke 10, 25 through 37. You may have heard of it. It's the Good Samaritan. That story. Here's what happened. One day an expert of the religious law stood up to test Jesus. By the way, it says expert religious law, you think lawyer. When you think lawyer, you spit. That's how it works, okay? It's a lawyer, right? Stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, right? He's challenging Jesus. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He already has his own answer, but he wants to hear what Jesus is going to say. Jesus replied, wow, what does the law of Moses say? You're the expert. You're the lawyer. How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. Does that sound familiar to you? Because that's what Jesus said it would have been. But he, he knew what he said because Jesus wasn't the first to say it. Just, but this is the most important commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then he goes on, he says, And love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's exactly what Jesus would have said. He goes, Right, Jesus told him. So do this and you'll live. 
Make the answer to your own question. Then the lawyer decides to be a lawyer. So he says, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Right? I mean, it's one thing to have the contract. It's another thing to start to define every little word in the contract. What do you mean by this? It's kind of the, kind of the, and lawyers do that. By this we mean, and they start defining every single word in the sentence when it should be a perfectly clear, ordinary meaning. But so, so who's my neighbor? Right? The guy next door, the guy two doors down, in the same town. How far are we going with this, Jesus? So Jesus doesn't tell him. Instead, he replies with a story. This is a story I bet you know. He says this, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Okay, do you remember Jericho? We just talked about it. That's where all those people got left in, in, in 2 Chronicles 28. Right, so when I read that, I go, wow, that's interesting. So Jerusalem to Jericho. And it's about 20 miles. And I see it kind of flat like that with a straight line, and I, I think I underestimate a few things because what I didn't know was that Jerusalem has an elevation of 2,582 feet, and Jericho is below sea level 846 feet. So in 20 miles, they're going to descend 3,300 feet. Right? So if that doesn't work for you, just to kind of visualize that, it's not exactly a straight line. And the, the, the kind of terrain you're going through to get, to get down. Jericho, by the way, is the lowest, the city at the lowest elevation in the world. Right? It's kind of like next to the Dead Sea in that, in that area, so which is way below sea level. Right? So this is the journey that Jesus is talking about. Everybody there knew it. We just didn't know it. We didn't know what kind of a walk it was. It's a very dangerous walk where, because it's so rough and so long, criminals would hide out there and, and they would rob people beat people up and take what they own and kill people. So it's a very dangerous church trip. In fact, it had the name the Road of Blood or the Path of Blood because these people so would so often get hurt on this trip. So this is what Jesus is saying. Everybody in his audience knew it. You know, when he goes, yeah, we're from Jerusalem down to Jericho. They're going, oh, the Road of Blood. That's where he's going. So a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. Well, of course he was. Why would he ever go down that road by himself? That's too dangerous. Nobody should do that, but he did. Right? And it was a Jewish man. Don't forget that part. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. Whenever I read half dead, I would think, so he's not mostly dead, is he? Right? <laughs> he's, he's still half alive. Right, it's sort of a Princess Bride thing, and and uh, but he's, so they left him half. I wonder what what is half dead, half zombie. I don't know, but he's half dead beside the road. He is he's badly, badly beaten, and he's going downhill fast if he stays there. So by chance, Jesus said, a priest came along, a man of God, a teacher, a respected person, a person in a position of authority, and a person of great influence. Right, that's what a priest is. Came along. But when he saw the man lying, when he, when he saw, when he saw, when he saw, when he saw the man laying there, lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road, passing by. <laughs> really? We thought the guys in Second Chronicles were bad. The guy's laying there, half dead, and he goes to the other side of the road. A temple assistant or a Levite, these are people who are born in these positions, right? walked over and looked at him. He looked at him. 
lying there. Doesn't say he held a mirror up to him or anything, but he's looking at him. You can tell he's not quite dead yet, right? But he also passed by on the other side. He goes way out of his way to avoid him. After seeing them, both guys go to the wrong side of the road to avoid this, this contact. And then a despised Samaritan came along. And I'm not going to go through the Samaritan history with you again because we've been there in the last few weeks. But we know that the Jews and Samaritans have a big argument about worship and they look down upon each other. There's this tremendous, you know, a Jewish person wouldn't talk to a Samaritan, wouldn't touch a Samaritan, all those kinds of things. So that's why we put the word despised. Then a despised Samaritan to the Jewish people came along and when he saw the Jewish man, when he saw, when he saw, when he saw, he felt compassion. Not the Jewish priest, not the Jewish person helping out in the temple. They went to the other side. But the Samaritan felt compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed, out, soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. And he bandaged him. Sound familiar? Then he put the man on his own donkey. And he took him to an inn where he took care of him. He goes, what's wrong? What happened to you? He gives him clothing. He bandages his wounds. He puts him on his own donkey, which means he walked the rest of that trip, wherever that trip took place. And he brought him down to the bottom of at an inn. And the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, two full day's wages is what that comes down to. And he told him, take care of this man. And, and if the bill is runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. In other words, here's a blank check. Whatever it takes, I'll reimburse you. It's okay. So he dipped into his time. He dipped into his, his he took the walk instead. He physically sacrificed and then he reaches into his bank account. Then Jesus turned to the lawyer and said, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. And you all know the answer. The answer's obvious. But let's change the question for our purposes. Which one of these would have the best chance to influence the guy who got beat up, the Jewish man? Right? The guy recovers, and he's trying to figure out what to do with his life. And they go, hey, would you like to talk to a priest? This is the guy who walked right by you. You want to talk to him? He's got, he's got a position of authority. He's got a position of influence. No, I think I'll pass on that one. How about this temple assistant? That guy, he was looking at me. Well, he, remember this mirror thing? No, I don't think I want to talk to him. Well, how about this despised Samaritan? <laughs> yeah, that's the guy I want to talk to. That's the guy that showed me what love is. That's the guy who cared about me. The answer's obvious. In fact, it was to the man, too. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. You know what I like about this? He didn't say the Samaritan. The lawyer couldn't say it. He goes, no, it's the one who showed him mercy. He couldn't bring himself to say it's the Samaritan guy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Right? Go and do the same. What's the same? Well, he saw the man half dead. He saw the half dead. Secondly, when he saw a half-dead person, he loved him. That's what compassion is. It's a feeling of love and care and com compassion. 
he let what he saw affect his heart. And, he, and, then, he, and then he served them. Right? I mean, at a deep level, he cleaned and bandaged the wounds. He transported him via his, his own donkey. He gave a blank check for his future care. This is the story that Jesus, Jesus told. He stepped into the inconvenience of serving. What happened? And I don't think he knew this. He just did it because he loved. But he also stepped in the opportunity to influence potentially. Because this is when we, when we do this. This is what happens. People, people naturally open their hearts, their lives to you. And if you have love and you have credibility and you've gone to the inconvenience and you give the time and, and, and say the right things, appropriate things, all of a sudden the opportunity for influence grows as well. See, when we read this story, we all hear neighbors. Right? Is that what you've heard, always thought of when the story is? Oh, yeah, who's our neighbor? Who's our neighbor? Who's our neighbor? When Jesus told this story, his readers, his hearers, I, I, I'm, I'm almost certain they would have been flooded with, he's telling the story of first or second Chronicles, chapter 28. What happened with, for Ahab? What Israel did when they marched all those people back? And then they were warned by Odad. And they bandaged and they cleaned and they cared and they put them on their donkeys and they clothed them and they gave back all the plunder and they returned them to where? To Jericho. The exact same city. When Jesus told the story to them, they hurt family. Who cares about who your neighbor is? The real question is, who's your family? And the answer is the Samaritan. And the answer is everybody. It doesn't matter what skin color, it doesn't matter what religion, it doesn't matter where they're from or where they're going. When, when God the Father looks at us and says, love your neighbor, he never says love your neighbor anymore. It's love your family. Love other people. They're my kids. And their eternal destination is up to me. You don't need to judge them by that. But you do need to love them. The sea of inconvenience is, is, is swam through by, by giving time, by serving, and by saying something that you might be rejected for saying. If I want to influence, I will have to serve someone. And I think this is the lesson of Fred. Fred has been greatly influenced. And we want to show you um, an older video of Fred where he's talking about kind of where he is and what really spoke to his heart in the beginning of, of his journey with, with the team. So, so watch this. Then Makub has broken and I'm so great that the Lord send you all guys and help my wife to fill up the scoop. And then that's the thing that triggered me to go into it more because I see the help that my wife church brothers come to do for her, you know. And it's been a quite success. So that's short, but it tells you what spoke to him in the beginning. There was people going, we need a chicken coop. We're going to help you. 
the only thing that we could earn for us. But sure you are. Clearly you are. And then prices go down. They serve me. They love me. They spent time with me. They came all this way. They sacrificed. They worked poorly inconvenience. They actually crossed the seas. And it wasn't convenient. And the church is part of that team. And we're part of that team. And it's affecting, you know, Fred's life. He's being influenced. And it's the same, it's the same for us today. So here's the application, because I promise we'll get there, right? Questions I have to ask myself. You figure out what you have to ask yourself. After the study, after looking at these verses, here's the questions. Number one is, who are my half-dead? Because I'm afraid I'm going to walk by them. In fact, I'm afraid because I know they're inconvenient. I'll go to the other side of the road to avoid looking at them. What makes me think I'm better than the priest or the temple assistant? It's really easy to look and judge, but but they crossed the road because they didn't want to get their hands dirty. They crossed the road to the other side because they didn't want to touch. Have you ever felt that way? Because I feel that way a ton. And, And I know I have to pray my way through it and be wise. I can't help everybody with everything but I don't want to cross the road to avoid it. I don't want to miss the opportunity to influence. Who, I, who, who can I see and love and serve? And that's the journey. Yes, I have to love. Yes, I have to have integrity. And then I have to step into inconvenience, which has been kind of like the last three weeks that we're talking. If I want to influence... I have to serve somebody. And if you need an example, the example is Jesus, right? He left heaven, crossed this ultimate sea of inconvenience, came to earth, he served, and he died on the cross for my sins, and he did this because Jesus saw me when I was half dead and on my way to total death. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you could say the exact same thing. I remember when I was half dead. I remember when Jesus saw me. I remember when I, when I understood what he did for me. I remember when I embraced it, when he, he healed many of my wounds. I'm not perfect. I'm not all together. But I'm whole in Christ. And now he says, come, let's influence the world together. Let's love together. Walk, walk straight up. Have integrity. And then be inconvenienced with me. Follow my example. Pick up your cross and follow me. Let's have influence. Let's pray. God, I'm just going to pray for myself and then our church together. God, would you give me eyes to see the half-dead? Maybe it's half-dead's the wrong word. Maybe it's the wounded, the hurting. Those who are living far from you, those who are, um, who are trying to follow you, but they're just hurting Help me to love. Help me to walk with you so I have integrity and I'm trustworthy. I don't want to discredit myself and lose the opportunity to be the, the person you've made me to be, to do the things you've called me to do. I think a lot of people in the room right now are saying, me too, me too, God, me too. And God, I pray for this, uh, for us together because we're a team God, would you help us reach people who are living without you, far from you, who are literally half dead, spiritually they're dead, and they need you. Would you give us eyes to see them?
strategies to care for them, willingness to sacrifice for them. And would you give us authentic love? That's the kind of church I think you want us to be. In Christ's name.